Hey, it's Ryan from Uplift, and you're listening to episode four of the Audible Prints podcast, where we discuss pressing social issues and the individuals and organizations making a difference in the community. Today's guest is Mark McIntyre. Mark is clinical lead of Headspace Ashfield and has worked 17 years in mental health and youth health services. He's had an interest in helping young people from early on in his career and is passionate about helping them at their lowest ebb, as well as supporting them to meet their goals. Before he was a manager at Headspace, he worked as a therapist in child and adolescent mental health in both community and hospital services, as well as overseas and group treatment. Outside of this, Mark plays the guitar and sings in a band, as well as plays basketball to unwind after work. In this conversation, we discuss his perspectives on supporting the mental health of young people, as well as strategies to destigmatize mental health issues and the individual part that we can all play to contribute to this process. Enjoy. Thank you, Mark, for joining me on the podcast today. Hi. Hi, how are you going? Uh, a place where I'd like to kick off is your career journey. Uh, would you be able to share a little bit about what that, is, uh, what that has been like so far? Oh, okay, yeah. So I started in mental health uh, about 16 and a half years ago. Uh, I started in adult mental health uh, to begin with, and then, uh, yeah, job came up in uh, adolescent, child and adolescent mental health in Campbelltown in the mental health inpatient unit. And I went for that and, and got it, and I really enjoyed working with young people. Um, I was fairly young at that time. I was in my early 20s, so I really kind of connected with the people I was working with and, yeah, just really felt um, that there was a lot of uh, change to be had with young people. I think working with adults, they're kind of set in their ways and, um, you know, they have their own uh, habits and things like that. But, yeah, young people, I think, are a little bit more flexible. So when you when you guys, when you have a chat and you, and you kind of suggest things and discuss things and they kind of are a bit more open to, to those things. Um, yeah, I've also had some uh, personal experience with mental health issues and, and that's happened in my family as well. So I really uh, am quite passionate about helping young people, helping people in general who have struggled with their mental health. Um, I was initially working at a law firm, uh, doing faxing and filing and, yeah, just not loving it at all and just wanted to do something more meaningful uh, with my with my job and with my time. Over the 16 and a half years, do you have like a particular highlight um, from that, that journey? Um, well, I guess... I guess I don't have a particular uh, highlight uh, example. I think it's more general in regards to, you know, the, the, the process of working with young people and having them feel kind of safe with me and connected and being able to share their experience, you know, particularly things like processing their trauma, you know, feeling better in who they are and you're gaining self-esteem and uh, self-worth. Um, and being able to be a part of that has been a real highlight. Um, yeah, and also later in my career as a, as a manager supporting staff who do work with kind of young people from complex backgrounds and, you know, sharing in their passion for helping young people as well. So 16 and a half years ago is quite some time, um, almost my, my lifespan. Yeah. Uh, did you have... <laughs> 
sort of have did you have any expectations uh, when you first started off and did they change at all has anything surprised you um yeah I didn't have any expectations to begin with. I really didn't know what to expect, really. I just kind of knew I was interested in the human brain and, you know, how we experience things and uh, just really wanted to be, you know, part of helping people um, in any capacity, really. Um, And so my expectation was hopefully I could help someone. Hopefully I could make their life a little bit better, Um, you know, even just get them on the path to that. Um, yeah. And so, and then I got into this adult mental health work and, 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 you know, you'd be checking in with 30, 30 people over, a, over a week and it'd just be like, hi, how you going? Good. See you later. And so I just really, um, you know, wanted to, uh, get to know people better and go through that kind of process, um, of therapy and, and, and counseling and things like that, um, yeah, I, I think my expectations have changed, obviously, with experience um, in as far as, you know, I don't try to expect too much from the people I'm working with, from my staff. Uh, I'm tr- just trying to get um, the young people to open up, really feel comfortable to open up, feel safe, feel that I like validated that I actually care that what's going on for them. Um, yeah, and whether they kind of actually will uh, get a toolbox of strategies and things from me that it's not necessarily kind of something they couldn't read online or something like that, you know. So I guess, yeah, my expectations have sort of changed in how I work with people. Um, Yeah, I think when you first start doing therapy, you uh, sit down and, and, and you think, I need to change this person. I need to make fix them. I need to get make get, make them feel better. And like if they cry or if they get upset, it's kind of you think, oh, I've done the wrong thing. But really, like if they're crying and they're upset, that's the first step on the journey. You know, identifying how they're feeling. What what is therapy? How would you describe it? Uh, so therapy, it, it's lots of different things. Uh, the first, I mean, the, the most simple explanation for me is really sitting in a room with somebody and talking about your experience. Um, the conversation is generally more as deeper than you're used to. Uh, it's a conversation about how you're feeling, how you, you know, and not everybody knows how they're feeling. Not everybody knows what words to put on their, on their feelings. Uh, so it's really just kind of getting to the bottom of that. What are you actually feeling? You know, what are you experiencing? Uh, and just letting the the young person sort of just lead it and go wherever they want to go to the point where they feel like, well, this person is listening. This person, you know, is at least trying to understand me. You know, that's really the important thing. So that's the first step. I think all the all the stuff we learn in uni and the training and stuff like that is really incidental. Um, in as far as you know once you start to get to know someone you can kind of put that stuff into practice when you really know what might help them Um, and that's the next step in therapy I think you know that really if somebody has gotten on with somebody and feels they can talk to somebody that whole experience is healing if you know what I mean it's a a lot of young people have been aren't connected to their parents or aren't connected to their friends in a way where they can share that stuff. And if they can do that uh, with me or with a therapist, 
then that's great. And that's, you know, that's a, that's a healing process. Just being able to share how you feel and have someone listen and validate you, I think is really, really important. Where does therapy come in? I'm assuming it's not the only sort of uh, support available for, for a young person going through mental health challenges. What sort of other modes of support are out there? Yeah. Um, so, uh, but, I mean, therapy, yeah, it's sort of the number one. We'd probably sort of try therapy before everything else. Um, yeah, there's, there's lots of different things, actually. You know, there's online support services. There's, uh, you know, uh, groups, discussion groups online. There's materials online, all, all sorts of things that you can do, I guess, with therapy or before therapy. Um yeah, um, sort of things like uh, those resources online, educating yourself and doing, you can kind of do your own therapy in a way and sort of being able to sort of see these different strategies and applying them at home. Um, but yeah, then the next step is kind of uh, medications that, that uh, have abilities to uh, change the brain chemistry and, and, and be able to, you know, do something to make you feel a bit better. If you're depressed or anxious, they might um, make that a little bit easier on you. They won't cure the issues that are underlying it, but they'll make it. They may make it a little bit easier. Um, you know, there's things like if things get really bad, hospital, um, which is a period of kind of taking time out and having a, a team around you to help you to get through a hard time. But really, th- those those are really rare and, and things that you would do really at the at the, at the pointy end of you know, when, when you're struggling, I think at the beginning, you kind of really, it's just that conversation with somebody who kind of knows about the human brain and knows a little bit about how emotions work. And that's really the important start, I think. Um, but yeah, there's lots of different ways to, uh, lots of different things you can, you can utilize if you're struggling with, with mental health issues. You mentioned um, before having a therapeutic relationship with yourself. So does therapy does that not need to be confined to maybe a clinic sort of a clinical um environment yeah i mean yeah i mean therapy counseling psychology all those things are really technical terms for what i said kind of before is that the relationship building uh with somebody and feeling heard and feeling validated um you can that can happen in any relationship right you can you know, with friends, with family, if someone's able to sit and listen and say, what you've been through is really hard, it sounds really hard, I couldn't imagine what it'd feel like, you know, um, I'm here to listen, I'm listening, you know, and just let, let the person talk. I mean, all those things are really, you know, great ways to support someone who's struggling and not necessarily need to go into therapy or go into, a lot of the people that go to therapy are for the most part, because they don't have those kind of relationships in their, in their life. And if, if they did, they might not need therapy. I mean, some people to have therapy just because it's helpful to talk to someone neutral, you know, someone that's not part of the family or someone that's part of the, that's not part of their friend group or because they're often involved in the issues that they're struggling with. So yeah, it really depends, I think, but yeah, there are obviously other ways to support someone besides therapy. Where does Headspace come into the, the picture here? Uh, so, yeah, so Headspace is the National Youth uh, uh, Mental Health Foundation. Um, and 
Headspace is one of those places that really we want to make as easy to access as possible. So it's a, it's a, it's basically um, you know it's a it's a health service that has GPs, has uh, you know sexual health checks, has um, we 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 co-partner with Youth Off the Streets for people that need financial and and accommodation services. But really, the most the biggest part of Headspace is the mental health part, and we have you know, psychologists, social workers, um, lots of different types of people that work, uh, different types of professions that work in Headspace and provide, for the most part, therapy, provide counselling to support young people uh, through their mental health issues. Um, And we're, you know, we're we're kind of on the, at the beginning of that journey, you know, where, where the where the service that we want, somebody starts to feel depressed or someone starts to feel anxious or they, they're being bullied or they're, you know, struggling in some way with their mental health that they feel like they can come see us or they can call us or they can access us online and, you know, they can start and hopefully what they do at Headspace will be, you know, helpful enough for them to, to move forward with their lives in, in a way that they, they want. Um, obviously, there's different... Uh, levels of of support there's you know the next step up which is you know child and adolescent mental health services and their government-run services that are longer term and you know have more staff and that sort of thing and then there's the hospital system and all that for the next step up so yeah we're, we're kind of there to try to stop people from getting worse if you know what i mean like try to help people when they're at their at their, the beginning of their journey With the young people that Headspace supports, do more reach out of their own fruition or are they being more often being referred on by other sort of youth support organisations? It's actually, yeah, it's, it's actually more young people themselves that reach out, which is really positive. Um, uh, then I think it's families, you know, probably mothers, uh, the next, and then it's agencies. Um, young people might reach out by walking in or by calling. Usually they would call up. Uh, sometimes they would, yeah, email or, you know, or access us through the website if, if you know, if they're, they're in a chat room or they're in, uh, on, on our website for some reason they, and they want to speak to someone face-to-face or online, then they can do it that way. Um, yeah, so it's it's... It's usually, yeah, the young person that, that approaches us, which is really positive, I think. When a young person reach out to head, uh, reaches out to Headspace, what's the process um, that they go through? Yeah, so the first process is that they would talk to what's called, uh, well, they'd talk to our admin team, so our receptionist, and they would get their details and um, create a file for them and do all that sort of thing. But the first time they need to talk about what's going on is with what we call our youth access clinicians. So they, they we call them YACs for short, and they're like the the front. Um, yeah, it's a great name. Uh, they're the they're the front of our service. Like they're the they're the gatekeepers almost. So they kind of chat to to, to young people and well, gatekeepers makes it sound like there's a you know there's a wall up or something but no like they're just the first people to to talk to and they they get a little bit of information and they kind of help some they they'll help a young person find you know what's the best thing for them is headspace the best thing for them or is another service the best thing for them um 
you know, and then they'll do an assessment uh, if if Headspace is they think Headspace is the best place for them, um, and that that assessment will determine whether you know they have ongoing therapy, whether they see the GP, whether they, you know, they need to see a psychiatrist or they need to see um, you know a longer term therapist or that sort of thing. So it's yeah, it's it also those the yaks are really good at sort of holding holding people in mind and keep checking in with them and making sure that they're going okay in that process of finding the right place for them, you know, or, or if they're on a wait list to see a psychologist or, or social worker or whatever. So yeah, it's, it's, it's the, those yaks. And then the next, next level is, you know, the mental health clinicians. So there's their therapists, their psychologists, social workers that have training in therapy. So yeah, it's, it's, so there's a bit of a tiered system there that, that we kind of go through. But, yeah, I think the most contact someone would have at the beginning is with the with the yak. When it comes to delivering support, what, what's the difference between a social worker, a psychologist, um, and a psychiatrist and maybe a GP? Yeah. So, um, so a psychiatrist is a medical doctor with training in mental health. And they are helpful in diagnosing mental health conditions, uh, coming up with treatment plans and sort of starting and monitoring medication. Um, they're often not really required unless there's some complexity uh, that, or, or there's, a, there's clearly a diagnosis of something like bipolar disorder, you know, rapid mood sort of cycling, uh, um, severe depression, things like that. So things that, you know, we, there may have been therapy done and then things didn't get better and so a psychiatrist might be the next step. Or we kind of think, well, maybe things are like a bit more complicated so we need to get a diagnosis and a treatment plan, that sort of thing. Um, so a social worker is like a, um, a professional who specialises in health. They can specialise in lots of different things. Social workers are overseas building huts for people in the third world, you know, but they can also be in health. So basically that their, their thing is to help vulnerable and uh, disadvantaged people. That's their, that's their thing. So, but social workers can train in special areas. And so in headspace, they train in therapy and counseling and they can provide that similar counseling and therapy than a psychologist can. Uh, so a psychologist is a, is a health professional, with training and how the mind works and you know that they use that to inform their therapy um i think psychologists are the most common in the mental health system and that's why you might say i'm going to see a psychologist but really a psychologist a social worker and anyone trained in therapy are doing the same job basically um you know they just have different ways of looking at it um yeah a social worker say might be more involved in so doing some family therapy as well and that sort of thing. Um, but, yeah, anyone that's trained in, 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 in therapy can, can be your counsellor or therapist and you can get the most out of that. Um, it's really, it doesn't really matter which discipline they come from. As I said before, it's about the relationship you make with them uh, and that's what determines how well you do in therapy, I think. As clinical lead at the Ashfield Headspace do you interact with social workers, psychologists, psychiatrists, and are you delivering therapy yourself? Yeah. So, yeah. So I'm actually a social worker by background. Um, uh, and so, yeah, um, I am still delivering therapy. Um, 
that's part of my role. Uh, the other part of my role is is to support the team with all of their, with the young people they're managing. I do, um, you know, work on the policy and procedures of the of the organisation, and recruit recruit new staff, all those sorts of things. But yeah, I'm still um, seeing young people face to face. During the pandemic, it's mainly online or on the phone. Um, but yeah, it's it's really important to me to continue to do that to keep my you know, that's, that's one of the most rewarding parts of my, my work, but it's also, you know, keeps me grounded and keeps me, you know, knowing what the issues are um, at the moment and, and, and being and working on my, my therapy skills. I'm assuming when you're delivering therapy, you, you come up against some, well, you're placed in some very difficult situations. How, how do you keep yourself in a good a good headspace when you're the one delivering therapy? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. Um, the biggest thing I think is to make sure if you're struggling yourself to make sure that you know what your own issues are and what the young person's issues are, you know, to be aware of, of what you're going through, to be aware of your own emotions, to be aware, you know, what your triggers are and those sorts of things. So you know, what's you and what's them, you know, you can, there's some kind of separation. I think things like self care is really important. You know, when you leave work that you're kind of looking after yourself, that you're doing things that relax you, make you feel good. I think hobbies are really good. I, I, I play guitar, I play basketball, I, you know, have a whiskey club, I, you know, all these sorts of things that keep me, you know, uh, off my work that don't have anything to do with my work so when I leave work I just kind of just do it and it, it just helps me relax and unwind and it's helped me to separate from from thinking too much about the people I work with when I'm in my own space you know um, so it's, yeah I think that's really important having supervision and things like that um, being able to talk about what you're doing in therapy and and thinking about ways to do it better and you know, what your reactions are and those sorts of things are really important. So, yeah. Do you think um, there's, a, there's a lot of focus on the barriers for young people when it comes to reaching out for support, but sort of on the clinical side of things, do you, do you see that psychologists, psychiatrists, social workers, do you see that they're more willing to reach out for support when they're going through tough times? Uh, I would say... I'd say no, because a lot of them feel like they should be able to manage it themselves. Um, I don't think they're the best people at doing that. I think that it takes, generally, in my experience, it takes years for people to go, all right, this is actually really hitting me. I'm really struggling. I need support. Um, you know, and, and I think in places, I've worked in the UK in certain treatment services, and they actually mandate well they don't mandate but they recommend that that people actually get their own therapy while they're doing therapy because they know what sort of comes up and what's you know because if you speak if you're speaking to young people all day that are vulnerable and at risk and talking about domestic violence and child abuse all these sorts of things that are really horrible things to go through for the young person but to hear them can traumatize you as well over and over again if you're hearing those things all day um, so yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's important, I think for people to get their own support, but they, they, de they definitely are some of the last people to access services because they think, well, I can, I can deal with it. I'm trained in it. So why can't I practice what I preach? You know, 
do you think we overestimate our ability to cope with the things that go on in life? Yeah, I mean, overestimate. I think we, yeah, we do. We do kind of underestimate how bad things might might hit us, maybe. Um, and I just think it just takes a while for us to realize that we're not coping. You know, I don't think we're always that insightful into our own emotions, and so you know. It can, it can take things like a big argument or, you know, even something like a violent episode or a self-harm or, you know, suicidal thoughts to actually push us to the point where we go, oh, I need help. You know, it, it, shouldn't, it shouldn't be that. We should, we should be, and I think that it goes to the whole stigma thing and the whole thing about, you know, we, uh, mental, mental ill health is something that we just don't want to deal with and people don't want to talk about and, you know, it, it, it really is something that's sort of hidden, un, you know, it's under the bed, it's, it's thrown under, the, it's brushed under the blanket, um, you know, so it's uh, under the rug. I mean, how many different things are we going to say? Uh, yeah, so it's it's just one of those things I think it takes time to go and get help for, you know, because you don't want to, you don't want to admit that you're struggling. Mm. Um, and in particularly, I think, you know, I can only speak for myself, but as a male, um, there is that kind of, you know, masculinity uh, that we have to kind of deal with things and deal with them until uh, we deal with them by ourselves and, and make sure that we don't uh, we don't share things that are too vulnerable and those sorts of things. So it, it, it takes even longer for, for young men to seek help. Um, you know, and we know that by, this, by the statistics we've got. You know, people are at their worst when they, young people, particularly young males, are at their worst when they get to health services um, most of the time. They're less likely to come to places like Headspace and when, when things are a bit crap, you know. <laughs> They're mm. like more likely to just go, I'll deal with it myself. You, you mentioned that, that sort of well, that tox- toxic masculinity and also that sort of our ability to, uh, that we won't seek help until shit really hits the fan. Do you think there are, what other barriers are there for young people when it comes to reaching out for support? Yeah, I mean, I mean, stigma more generally is a barrier, I think. Um, You know, I think just the way that that mental illness is seen in, in, in the media, you know, it's seen by young people, by people our age, it's just using words like crazy, you know, I'm, I'm so crazy or like I'm so OCD or you're a psycho, those sorts of things, you know, where it just means that every time you feel unwell or you question yourself as crazy, in inverted commas, um, you're less likely to seek help or you're less likely to feel comfortable about like the fact that you need help and the fact that you, because you don't want to be seen like that. And, and those attitudes aren't very helpful to, to us, that, to all the young people that are wanting to seek help. Um, but I think that's all changing. And I think, you know, just a general uh, acceptance of difference is, change, is, is happening, I think. You know, when we're talking about schools, um, uh, you know, single gender schools being able to allow um, transgender young people to wear different school uniforms, you know, or, you know, us, everybody being a little bit more open to using different pronouns and things like that. 
really, I think, helps just with that whole uh, stigma thing about mental illness and and um, just about difference and about how we all are struggling with our own stuff, you know. Um, yeah. At the individual level, how might someone destigmatize um, mental health? What what could we do as young people to contribute to that process? Yeah. Well, I think uh, things like you know, are you okay? Day that was a couple of days ago, wasn't it? Hmm, it's a really good yeah yesterday it was the it was the it's a really good thing to start the conversation i think that's it right like we need a reason to start the conversation it's very hard and you know i've had experience with this with mates that have been struggling and you're just like i don't want to be the one to to go in and and go and dig into their business and you know make them feel like they have a problem when they may not have a problem and you know, it, it's just very hard to, to start that conversation. So things like Are You Okay Day is really good to start that conversation. But I think that conversation needs to go further. Um, and I think as friends and family, as I was talking about, that kind of listening and validating um, is really important and saying, look, I'm here for you uh, if you need to talk, you know, and and even saying like, how you've been going lately, let's talk about it. Oh, and, and then saying that sounds really hard that all that stuff helps you to start that conversation and, and, and get into a point where you might say, look, this is beyond me. I think you need some help. Would you be open to that? And then, you know, leading that into, I think the, you know, the acceptance of mental ill health is really important. Um, and it's really, uh, like I think things like the, as I said, the media and things need to be part of that. And I, you know, think things like footballers and, and athletes coming forward and saying, I've struggled with depression. I've struck, you know, I've got a diagnosis of bipolar disorder, you know, actually being open about it is really admirable. I think because it's so, it, it's really hard. You know, I think it's even harder to say those things and say, I, I have diabetes or I have something, you know, a medical condition. Because people seem to think, oh, if I have anxiety, it's under your control. You know, you can you can change that. You can get better. Um, but it's actually like, well, I, you know, my my mum had anxiety. My dad had anxiety. You know, I was born into an anxious household, and I kept, you know, I I, I, I can't help it. I'm anxious all the time because of the way I was brought up or whatever. So it's just, you know, it, it's it's really complex, and I think we just need to be more open with each other and more, more accepting of difference. Um, but yeah, in those everyday conversations, I think we, we, we just have to be kind of more open to start the conversation and more open to listen and validate and, and, and not try and fix. I think the big thing is it, when you have those conversations, you try to fix them, mm-hmm. you know, why don't you try this? Why don't you try that? You know, why don't you, and fixing before you've listened or validated or, or, or actually kind of uh, given the person time to talk is it, it actually turns people off and it means it's it's you know it makes it makes what you're saying is someone who's struggling not as important you know oh okay I should just snap out of it I should just be positive oh okay you know those sorts of things are really unhelpful so I think if we can be mindful of that when we're having those conversations that'd be great. I think um, see we're having that uh, personally when I've tried talking about my 
the things that I'm going through and also talking, asking friends about things um, that they're going through, I, I do feel that that desire to to fix things. Um, mm. And but say if I was to acknowledge that I couldn't, I didn't have the answers at that point in time. What's sort of the next step? What support could I recommend um, to to my to my close friends? Yeah. Well, I guess I mean it's you know things like maybe you've had the conversation with someone like me, and you've you know you de- demystified therapy and what it's all about, and you know that it's actually not for crazy people. And it's not for you know it's not it's it's actually something that you know just like going to the GP, just like going to you know it's something that you do to for your health. You know, it's something you do. Your mental health is part of your health. It's part of you functioning as a as a human being and, and it's really it's actually more important in some ways because it's it's your personality it's your you know it's everything that makes you and if you can yeah if you can sort of say demystify it if you can sort of say well actually you know it's it's it doesn't sound that bad it sounds like you're just really talking to somebody about your stuff and you can go at your own pace and you can talk about whatever you want to really um and that person is just going to listen because they care, you know. And that's that's really the important thing, I think, if you can get that through to somebody because it's so counselling or therapy is just so loaded, isn't it? It's like you need therapy. It's like, well, I must be I must be crazy or I must something you know something must be wrong with me. But really, it's like you're just giving your mental health a tune up, right? Just like you would be going for your GP checkup or. You know, so I think that's that sort of thing is important. Just taking the the mystery out of it, or the the stigma away from it by, you know, information. On the stigma front, do you think there is a sort of a disproportionate, like sort of correlation between or what people associate mental well being with poor mental health, and that there isn't much of a focus on on good mental health? Because I remember a couple of years ago, I went to a Batir there was a presentation given by Patir and the, the guy the, the, the guy running it asked everyone to think about the words that came to to your minds when when you thought about the word mental health and mm-hmm. everyone came up with you know negative uh, words with negative connotations do you think the narrative needs to be shifted to um, or there needs to be more of an emphasis mm-hmm. on positive mental health at all sure yeah absolutely well I think you know the, the term mental health is the presence of health, right? Is the presence of, you know, being mentally well. Um, so when people say mental health, they automatically, as you're saying, think of something negative or think all those things, depression, anxiety, you know, all those things that, that kind of come along with that. But mental health is, is a good thing. Having mental health is a good thing. Um, you know, and mental ill health or mental illness is what we're talking about when we're talking about um, the things that we we want to help with. You know, um, but yeah, I think we do focus on that that a lot, um, and really um, things like all the strategies we talk about are really about and can be used by anybody. They're really about living a better life and and being less tortured by your consciousness and being able to enjoy things without being super anxious and being. So I think if we can change some of the language around uh, 
that with the negatives to resilience and you know words like that that you've been through a hard time and that has made you stronger you know or you have been through a hard time and um you know you've learned from that you've you've learned all these things and you know there is a silver lining in the horrible cloud that you've been through you know um that sometimes it's there isn't one and it's just well you're still living and you're still you know you're still able to like take hold of the present and do what you want to do with your life um you know i'm not for one second minimizing what people have been through but it's important to think well actually there is it's not it's not just what i it's not just the negatives i've been through there there's also there's also things to make life worth living really during this lockdown i've i've tried to accept that or come to terms with that the negative feelings will pass and i've also started taking to religion in the last sort of month trying to work on my spiritual health which has sort of helped me to sort of see the bright side in every day you you mentioned mental building mental resilience how can we do that in what sort of strategies are available mm. when we're at home for a lot of the yeah, time yeah in lockdown yeah yeah it's 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 really hard i think everybody's struggling at the moment um in some way um because it feels like there's no light at the end of the tunnel you know it's been yeah got you, you forget count of the weeks that it's been and it's just every day is the same and it just feels like the case numbers are going up and all those sorts of things so i guess the importance is trying to put it into perspective and i think you know things like religion do help with that um is trying to put you know the, the fact that it feels like this now but it won't always feel like this you know it it it, you know, there are things you can change and there are things you can't. You can't change this. You can't change what's going on in the world. You can't change whether so-and-so gets COVID. You can't change the policies around COVID. But what you can change is how you react and, and what you do in the moment. And life is a series of moments, right? It's not It's not the past. It's not the future. I mean, it's more It's what you're living is is now and today. So what can you do today to make it better? Um, and what, you know, that, that includes working on things you've always wanted to work on, you know, uh, watching movies you've always wanted to see, uh, starting a new hobby, starting a new, like anything like those sorts of things are, are really helpful. Um, and you may not be motivated to do it, but the important thing is the first step is always the hardest. So getting into the, into whatever it is you want to do the first time you may have to push past that motivational block. And like get into it and then you might find wow this gets easier each time i try it and and that's anxiety you know anxiety is there to protect us it's there for a reason um and you know when we were cavemen it actually did protect us from an attack from a saber-toothed tiger you know if we heard a rustle in the bushes if we ran it actually protected us now it, it's not quite the same and it, it, those feelings are still coming up though with coronavirus and it's like well it actually might it may hurt us but we have to take it into perspective, um, you know, with all the things, you know, I'm vaccinated, I've got, you know, I'm, I'm otherwise in good health and, you know, I've got support if I need it, good hospital systems, all those sorts of things. So, you know, trying to put things in perspective, I think, is really the, the big thing. You mentioned the, the cave, uh, the caveman analogy. Um, 
a few words that I've heard thrown around is the flight or fight response. Yeah. Uh, would you be able to sort of explain what that means? Yeah. So the, so that's the response that comes when uh, you, you say you, you feel anxiety or you feel fear. And it's, it's, it's to enable the body to get into those states where they can either fight or they can run or they can freeze. So it's fight, flight or freeze. And those, those are ways to protect us basically uh, from threats. And that's basically when, when you're in an anxious state or a panic state, those are the things that you may choose to do. So say, you know, somebody is threatening your child or whatever, you would probably go into fight, right? Um, if you ran across a, a bear or something, you'd probably run like, you know, but often if people have experienced trauma and they've had something over and over again, they, they're going to freeze because there's no way they can get away. They can't fight. So they freeze as a, as a, to, to just kind of psychologically detach from what's happening. So th- those are the fight, flight and freeze are, are really ways for our body to try to deal with threat and, the problem is that we go into those unnecessarily sometimes in the modern world because, you know, anxiety is there, but threat isn't really there, you know, so it's a hangover from caveman days, but it's, yeah, it's sort of, uh, it's, it's, it's a good thing if we're, if we're going to be attacked or if we're going to be at, uh, really threatened, but uh, it's not such a great thing. And that's what ther- you know, therapy helps you to manage that, that increase in, arousal to the point where you might want to do all those things but um the breathing techniques and the you know, grounding techniques and all those things can bring your body back down uh to a point where you're not you know What's ready the, to, the, to run what sort of the benefit of the the breathing what, what does that do for your body because I've, I've tried it actually um, my physio recommended it this morning um yeah. to, to try doing it <laughs> Yeah, breathing. So, bre- I mean, breathing is obviously something we do every day, and it's really vital to us to be able to be survive, to to, la- to live. It's like the most important thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it, it sort of re- it regulates our uh, our um, our uh, our systems in, in our body. So basically, brings us brings us equilibrium. So if we can, if we breathe, it helps us bring us from a state of arousal back down. Because it sort of, it's a, it helps that reaction, you know, the fight, flight, uh, freeze of the, of the nervous system response. It brings it right back down. So mm-hmm. um, breathing physiologically actually calms us down. We can't help it. It just helps. It just calms us. Um, problem is when you overbreathe, you know, if you're panicking, you're like, <sighs> and, and that's, that's, that's not helpful. Um, but if you slow your breaths down, you count your breaths, you know, those sorts of breath, that's those sorts of breaths are actually really calming. And it's, it's a particular type of breath that helps you to calm down. I think a lot of people try breathing in inverted commas, let's try breathing and that doesn't work, but it's about slowing the breath down, counting, counting the breath and making it. Um, and that's how it sort of works. I think, um, yeah, it's, it's, one of the things that it takes practice and it's very hard in the moment to, to kind of try the strategies and have them work straight away. So then people just sack them and go, Oh, I tried that. Didn't work. Um, but yeah, things like breathing, it's just, 
it's, you know, things like if you're going to sleep, counting your breaths is really helpful to help you sleep because it can bring it can the What's counting that? can help you focus away from what you're thinking about as well as well as calming you physiologically. Is there a particular tempo um, that we should breathe to when it could put to calming well, down? The, yeah, well, the, the, what they say is, I mean, it depends really on your lung capacity and how big you are, but I think a lot of people would, they, the, 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 the literature says, you know, breathe in for four, hold for two, out for six. So it's, you know, that kind of is what generally, but I think those numbers are very dependent on, you know, say for me, I'm six foot three with big lungs. I might breathe in for longer than someone right. who's smaller. Um, mm. So it, it's about where you feel like the, you feel comfortable. You still have to feel comfortable. You don't want to feel like you're over breathing or you're not getting enough oxygen, those sorts of things. Was it? So four, four, two, is that four, four seconds, four breaths? Four, two, four, two, six. So yeah, it's, it, it's breaths. Okay. Okay. I'll try to give that a practice tonight. Um, I, I, I heard of the Wim Hof technique. I watched a YouTube video of, of, of him just trying to breathe in. Yeah, I just did it outside for a bit, which was all right. But I don't think I got the perfect breath there. <laughs> Sorry, it was. It, it actually counts. It's not breath. Well, that, that's, so it's one, two, three, four, hold, two, one, two, then out, one, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, it feels like a long time, but not. yeah, it was. Um, I it was a ten minute video, and I actually never appreciated that. Well, I hadn't really sat still for that long, which I, which I was really surprised at, and I think it just sort of brought it home that I was spending too much time on my phone. That I actually never just sat <laughs> down outside and like just tried not to distract myself with anything. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard. And that's, that's mindfulness, isn't it? It's sort of, that's why it's so hard. But when people say mindfulness, they say uh, it's extremely hard because it's about being present in the moment completely without being on your phone, without, you know, thinking about something else, without, you, know, you actually have to let go of your thoughts um, and focus on what it is you're doing. And it's a really hard thing to do. So when people say mindfulness, try mindfulness, it's not an easy thing to do, but when you can do it, it, it's really great. And as it's, it, you know, as I was talking about with the lockdown stuff, it's bringing you back to the present moment and, and living in the present moment. What sort of strategies? Cause I, that's something that I've really struggled with. Um, staying in the moment. I always tend to look either too much to the past or too much to the future. Um, mm. apart from breathing, are there any sort of other strategies that we could do? Yeah, I mean, in regards to that, you know, if we're talking about mindfulness, um, yeah. there are visualizations you can do. Um, say you, you've got thoughts and your thoughts are, are overwhelming you. It's about how do you pay attention to them, but then let them go. So, it's a, you know, you might visualize your thoughts on a cloud and then, you know, they might pass um, or on a, a leaf on a stream or on a train. It's It's about you're paying attention to the thought. I am having the thought that blah, 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 blah. Then you're letting it go, you know, because you, if you try to push thoughts away, they just come back. Right. So if you want, you want to, you want them to be, um, you've paid attention to them and then you've let them go. And that way you, you, you probably are more likely to let them go. Um, and that, that way you've kind of, 
you go back to the task at hand and then you have a thought, then you do the exercise, then go back to the task at hand. And then eventually your brain learns that that's, you know, that's, that's working and that your, your thoughts aren't going to intrude in the same way. Maybe 16 and a half years ago, were, were there sort of different strategies? What was sort of, what did that space look like back then? Yeah, I mean, things like, uh, you know, the buzzwords like mindfulness and, um, mm. you know, attachment and things like that, all of those things were there. It's just now I think we're really putting them into place, you know, and we're all really uh, learning more about what helps different people i think we're really good now we're really a lot better at uh individualizing care you know we're not we're not kind of having care packages as we used to have in the same way i think we're more able to think you know do do an assessment of someone as their own person and then not be forced to use certain strategies uh to begin with we can sort of we've got some time to do that but you know Unfortunately, we do have a time crunch and, and that does make it difficult. Uh, you know, people in, in Headspace on average have 10 sessions to work with somebody. Mm. So it is very, that isn't very much time when you think about it. So it, it is very difficult for people to get to know someone, do some strategies and feel like that they've gotten enough out of that. And I think that sort of... Uh, brief intervention thing has become more common so it's 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 like yeah we're expected to do more in with less time and i think that's also resources and money and things like that so obviously i think there's definitely not enough resources in the middle ground uh where people are not are, are quite unwell but not unwell enough to go to hospital mm. so it, it, i think that's still a big issue and i don't know if it was as big an issue five years ago um, yeah. I know we've talked about staying um, in the present. I'd just like to ask you uh, one more question before we get to the quick fire yeah. ones to sort of cast your mind five years into the future. Um, if things were to sort of change, you mentioned sort of under under resourcing or sort of time constraints. What what would what would that look like for you if things were to change five years from now for the good? Yeah. Okay. Well. Yeah. Basically. Uh, Look, we'd always want more resources. We always want more more therapists, more counsellors, more GPs, more, you know, we want to use the, we want more resources, basically. I would love more resources for for that, as I said, that, that middle ground, those people that are struggling, that need more therapy, that need longer intervention, more support. And that just isn't, that just doesn't exist at the moment, especially in my, my LGA and my local health district. So that's 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 a bit of a struggle. What else? I would like five years in the future for the things like stigma and shame about mental health struggles to be less. I, I And I want programs like there's a program that Headspace do called the Big Stigma and they put this giant, they put a giant ball of, of, of different kind of stigmas stuck to this giant ball and they need to, and it just kind of, it, it gets people thinking about it, you know, and, and I think we, we really need to discontinue educating people about mental health issues. Um, and the more people are educated, I think, the more they're understanding and, and more likely to check in with people. And 
less shame. I guess it's the shame about accessing services, and we want to mm. we want to get away from that. Um, and I'm hoping in five years in the future that's better because it is improving. Where could young people go to to learn about the various stigmas? Because uh, I think awareness is a, probably a big big thing. Um, where, where can they learn to learn about the stigma and also sort of the space and the support that is available to them? Yeah, well, our, our Headspace website's really good, um, and there's also you can also log in and create your own. Um, you can have your own sort of page with lots of different strategies and lots of different. There's different um, support groups and things like that, and there's lots. There's information on stigma in there as well, and how to fight stigma and and the different campaigns about stigma that Headspace are running. Uh, so that's really important. I think um, a good way to access um, services if you're not in therapy, especially, um, or if you are, uh, it's good to have that sort of stuff in between sessions or after your sessions and that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, the Headspace the website, log, you know, log on, create a profile, you know, and then it's really specific to what you're struggling with. You know, you can tick boxes and create a whole kind of toolbox specific to what you're going through. I'll include a uh, link in the description after this podcast. I'll um, I'll go make make an account myself. Great. Um, I think just before we we wrap things up here, uh, Mark, just I know you, you touched upon a couple of your sort of lockdown hobbies. I think was it a whiskey club? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just like to ask, sort of, what are you streaming uh, or listening to during lockdown? What sort of sonically and visually getting you through it? Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm a big indie rock fan, so mm-hmm. I've uh, been uh, I've been kind of getting into the, some of the older indie rock bands that I hadn't really listened to yet, like The Smiths and The Cure, um, but also newer bands such as The Beths from New Zealand, The Foles, Holy Holy. Um, so, yeah, I'm kind of listening to those at the moment and mm-hmm. streaming uh, the moment streaming AP Bio, the comedy show from the US on Stan and Girls. Um, that's on Binge, I think. That's a really good one as well. Would you recommend yeah. Binge? I've, I've seen yeah. it come across my social media advertisements. Yeah, it's good. It doesn't have as many titles as Netflix or Stan, but it's. I think it's cheaper too. So, I mean, they've all got they've all got some good content on them. So. Um, I, I, I have all of them basically, I think, uh, <laughs> just especially since lockdown started. <laughs> so mm, one of the for good choice. To do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's the hardest thing is trying to figure out what <laughs> yeah. out of it's the choice. Problem. Yeah. It's a problem that we'd like to have. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Exactly. How about reading? Um, are you reading anything during lockdown? Um, yeah, I'm a bit of a geek when it comes to that sort of thing. Like, uh, I just like reading journals and, uh, you know, at the moment I'm reading a family therapy book and stuff. But, it, yeah, I, I really have never – I need to get into more fiction. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think I will when I take leave over Christmas and stuff. So uh, I don't really have a book at the moment I'm reading, but uh, that's definitely on the on the to-do list. Is that sort of clinical – Journal papers that you you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of ones that are sort of 
of interest to me and ones of like that are particularly relevant to young people I'm working with. So mm-hmm. just to, to keep my, keep my skills honed, you know, mm-hmm. um, which I think top is top of your game. Is, yeah. Top of my game. Exactly. Uh, well, Mark, I, I think that mindful of time, that will probably bring an end to our conversation. Just like to thank you uh, for your time and for your insight and the sort of the, the honesty of the, the conversation that we've just had. Oh, great. Thanks so much, Ryan. Appreciate it. Awesome. Right. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Follow us to keep up to date with Uplift and to listen to future podcasts with more conversations highlighting pressing social issues and the individuals and organizations making a difference in the community.